This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start this up. We're doing Parshish Bo. We're going to talk about Choshech. And uh, we have quite a bit to talk about over here. Parak Yud, Pasuk Chavalef. Pasuk says, Hashem said to Moshe, Spread your hand out upon the heavens. There will be darkness in the land of Mitzrayim. And it will be a Choshech that is Yamesh. And the question that we're going to really ask and what we're going to go into is, what does the word Yamesh mean? What does it mean to have this Mamashus of Choshech? What does that mean exactly? So the first shot is from Rashi. Rashi tells us that this Choshech was a deeper darkness than that of a normal night. The word by Yamesh stems from the word Yamish. Yud Aleph Mem Yud Shin, he says. Something becomes darker and darker. The Makkah was going to be a darkness that got so extreme that it kept going from one to the other. And each time you went from one to the next to the next, it felt like it got worse as time went down. Rav Hirsch says it was an all-encompassing Makkah, where each time you looked at every Makkah, it got worse and worse within the sets of three. And when he got there, you saw Arbe, Barad, Choshech, I'm sorry, Arbe, and then Barad, Arbe, Choshech, and finally you got to Makkah's Bechorus. It was all-encompassing in this way that it was extremely, extremely harsh. Targum Unkelos and Targum Yenzon Bezil said the exact same shot. They say it started right in the morning, right after dawn. They say that Paro would see that it wasn't just a continuation of night. It wasn't the night that led into this, as if there was no break, and it just was darkness, and then Choshech continued. It was Choshech, the sun rose, the light started to come down upon the earth, and right then, right when the sun started to come upon the earth, that's when this darkness hit, that it was completely different from a regular darkness. That way, it was Yamish. The word Yamish means to move, lo Yamish Ohel. He never moved himself from the Ohel. That idea of Yamish, that it moved, it became the new darkness in the place of the old darkness that was there at night. Divin Ezra rejects this idea. The Meforshe Rashi reject the idea. But the Rabbeinu B'chai and the Shach say, according to this idea, the light that surrounded the Jews, because we say, there was this or that surrounded them wherever they were. This light that surrounded them must have started at night, he says, before dawn, so that the Jews themselves could see it. So just like the darkness started after the sun rose, so to the light started when it was still dark outside. It became light before this sun came out so they could see this is not sunrise. This is not sunlight that's hitting them. It was a special light that B'nai Yisrael had that was completely different. For that reason, Ulechol B'nai Yisrael Haya or B'moshwasam, the last letters of Lechol B'nai Yisrael Haya is Lila to stand for that this night for them was light. That became a, a day for them. The Gross is the same idea that the Yomish means that you should move. And Yomish Choshech, this idea of Yomish Choshech means that you should move, but he says it a little bit differently. People think that light is a creation, right? That we say Vayihi Or. And that darkness is only, what would darkness be? Light is the actual creation and darkness is a Abs- the absence of light. That's the way people think. Says the Gras, says the Vilna that's not true. The Psukim and Bereshis seem to indicate that Choshech is the absence of light, but that's not true. The way we have it over here is like this. Yotzer or Uvore Choshech. That he forms the light and creates the darkness. That Bore Choshech means that there's an actual creation of Choshech. But Choshech is not the absence of light. Choshech is an actual creation, an actual Bria, something that's there that's different. The Redak, Redak rejects the idea. He says that no, it's really the fact that the sun sets is the creation, not the actual darkness. But according to the Grah, this is it. There is a creation of darkness. 
And since darkness is an actual creation, so do we have this maka, says the Vilna Gon, with something which the darkness pulled away from the creation of light, that it's its own thing. It sort of pushed away the light, so to speak, said it was something different and even pushed away the darkness. It became something on its own. So as of right now, everything, the ideas that we have are yamish, that it became darker, or yamesh, that it moved it around and made something different. But Ibn Ezra goes into something different. He says, yimashesh is the word over here. Something that could be felt. You were able to feel with your own hands. Rashi brings this as well from a medrash, as well as the Rashbam, the Tur, and the Ramban. The darkness was, was so thick, they say, all these Rishonim say, that even a candle that was lit would not be able to penetrate the darkness. You lit up a candle, you wouldn't be able to see a thing. It would be like such a, th- a thick darkness, a cloud that surrounded them, nothing was able to get through. The great light of the sun wasn't, be- wasn't able to penetrate. You weren't able to get anything through. See, on a, a cloudy day, even, no matter how thick the clouds are, it still is different than nighttime. When it's daytime, you can tell the difference. It might not, you might not see the sun shining through, but you can still see this light, this some type, this brightness that's shining through the thick layer of clouds. Here, it wasn't like that. It was impossible to see any type of light, any type of fire in any way, shape, or form. It was absolutely impossible to see. Said to me, I'm Lois, any light that they've turned on immediately went off as if there was no oxygen there. The Moshev Zakanim argues on this, but the idea is the air was so thick, whatever this air was, it wasn't oxygen, it immediately went out when anything happened. It was like very deep pits and caves where we know if you try to light something inside there, there's no oxygen inside there, there's no way for the light to be able to come through. That's what happened. That's how this darkness was. Haksav Kabbalah says this must have been an actual creation of darkness, and he proves it from the fact that it words, the word is Vayehi. It became Choshech. Since it became something, it must be that it's something that actually exists. And the truth is, in Tehillim Kopei, it says the same thing. It says, Sholach, that this Choshech, Sholach, Choshech, Biachshich, that the darkness was sent. It has to be something that's sent. You can't send something that's an absence of light. You can send something which is mamoshes. You can send something that's an actual thing you can pick up with your hands. That's what the Choshech was. It was something that could be sent out. So how could they breathe? If we, yeah. That's what the Vilna Gon was going into. Yeah, the Vilna Gon seems to say, I mean, it depends on how you learn this passing of Bereshis, but it seems like there's no actual word in Bereshis that, def- that defines Choshech as a creation. It seems to be more like Vayihi or Velachoshech Karalayla. And the darkness was called night, meaning the darkening of the sky was called night. But not that Choshech is an actual creation, it's just after the light goes away, that is called night. That's what it sounds like, but Choshech was not an actual creation. The Gruz Chiddush is that no, Uvore Choshech is that cre- darkness is an actual creation. There is a creation, and this was an extreme of that creation. That's the idea behind it, yeah. So we don't know what that is. Yeah, I, I, I can't define that. I mean, when you're dealing with a black hole or something like that. Yes, something, whatever that would be. You know, maybe, yeah, that darkness, we'll get to that. Belinda, yeah, we're going to get to that idea. So, yeah. Without darkness, there wouldn't be. So in other words, there would have to be, without the light, you'd say it was sohu vavohu. So it has to be, there has to be a creation of night. Good. Hold on a second with that as well. The Rabag asks the question, he says, wait a second, if there's no oxygen, if this was such a thick cloud that you couldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to breathe throughout it. So how were you able to breathe? What, what happened? 
How did the Egyptians live through this Makkah? It was six days, three days and then three days. How is it possible for them to be able to breathe through it? So the Rabag says their nostrils and their mouths closed up completely since the air was so dangerous, if they would have breathed it in, they would have died. Miraculously, even though that happened, they were able to live for six days without needing to breathe or without moving their nostrils, without doing anything, which is an unbelievable miracle. Says the Rabag, that's what they ended up doing. Haksav Kabbalah says there's no way. There's no way that such a miracle would have been made where they couldn't breathe for three or six days straight. There's no way. That's such a crazy miracle. For what? What's the point? Just kill them all. Why not just use that as, as Makas Bechoros? And then you'd be done. Everything would be perfectly fine. So why would a Kaddish Baruch do that? Plus, what does it mean that we all know that Rashi? That Rashi says, and it seems to be in the Pasuk itself, that for three days they weren't able to move. What do you mean you weren't able to move? Why couldn't they move? Why couldn't they move? So the Moshe Zakanim says, because if they moved, then they'd have a problem. They could light up candles. We already said that candles won't work there. So what was the point of them not moving? What was the reason why they couldn't move? He says the craziest idea. He brings it down that the people were scared out of their minds. Why were they scared out of their minds? They were shown extremely scary visions in the darkness. It wasn't just the darkness. It wasn't just a crazy darkness. They were looking at movies in front of their eyes in the darkness and they saw things that were scaring them out of their minds. Think of the worst horror, don't think of the worst horror movie that you can think of, but a horror movie in front of their eyes while the darkness is going on. There's an awesome darkness from them. They can't move whatsoever. They can't see, I should say. And they're trying to feel their way around. And all of a sudden, they're seeing these visions of people coming up against them, people trying to kill them, people trying to do things. And they couldn't stop. They were so scared out of their mind. They saw wild animals coming against them. They saw people trying to kill them. And they could hear the Jews walking around. They heard the Jews walking around and moving around from one place to the other. And they were scared. They didn't know what to do. They thought that maybe, maybe those Jews were trying to kill them. They froze, not knowing how to be able to deal with themselves, not wanting to move a muscle, wondering what was going to happen if they did so. The Chsam Sofer quotes this Chokhmah Shlomo Rabasi, which they all quote is this idea over here, and says the darkness had these pictures and everything like that. And it felt like, to them, they had no idea what to do with themselves. The Chsam Sofer says it as well. To me, again, Lahavdil, this reminds me if anybody's seen the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with the tunnel. If anybody remember that, I know I'm dating myself because, you know, whatever, but if anybody remembers the tunnel, which made no sense and is not in Roald Dahl's book, but if anybody remembers, they go inside that tunnel, they go inside that little boat, right, and they go through, and all of a sudden there's these, they start running through and these scary pictures appear on the wall. That was Choshech. You are Charlie and the Chocolate Factory going through, which some sick-minded candy individual is trying to make in front of you, that was, they got it from Makas Choshech. They for sure saw that Chachma Shlomo Rabasi, whoever the director of that movie was, and they put it together and they were the ones that showed it over here. That's the idea. Scared the living daylights out of them. They were so scared, they had no idea what to do with themselves, all the people that were around here. And the fact that the Jews were there, they could have killed them any time, they couldn't stand it. They had no idea what to do and they were so scared of themselves completely. And that's the idea. The Jews didn't leave. Even though Shalach Hoshech Vayachshich, even though that Hoshech was sent and it was dark for everybody, Lo Maru is Devaro. They did not go against. They didn't rebel. They didn't want to leave early. They stayed where they were. Everything was all good for them. It was crazy when it came to the Rabbeinu Bechai. The way the Rabbeinu Bechai says it could be understood is that the sun still shone as usual. The sun shone the way it was supposed to. The rest of the world went on as they normally would. Everything was all good. It just had no ability. The sun couldn't penetrate through the clouds at all. And there was such a darkness that came upon the land, they didn't know what to do with themselves. Ibn Ezra says, this happens sometimes when you're at sea. He says that this cloud is a crazy thing when it comes at sea. He says, there's this big, thick cloud that comes when you're in a boat on the ocean. 
and he said he was in it for five days. It could be this huge, thick darkness, and nothing can go in there. It, it can't go through whatsoever. The Hare Chosha, the mountains of darkness that the Midrashim talk about, is this idea of what it's supposed to be, this idea of where it's a blanket cloud, this massive cloud that just surrounds and covers up everything. That's what Choshech was. The Rabbin Abachai and the Ibn Ezra both say that. I don't know what this is. Ibn Ezra is talking about it, but it sounds like the thickest fog that you've ever heard of before in your life. Yeah, like an unbelievable fog. But it can't be because it, he's saying that it's pitch black dark. That's what Ibn Ezra is quoting it as. And he says it only happens at sea. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means because we've heard of thick cloud. We've heard of fog. I mean, that's not, that's not something out there. I'm sorry? That's the idea. That's what they're saying, that they weren't able to move because it was an actual thick fog. That, that's exactly what they say. And that's an idea. I definitely get that. The Chidusha Rim says that this darkness had the thickness of a dinar coin. A dinar coin. And he says it teaches us something. And it's an interesting lesson. The desire for money doesn't allow us to get up and help someone who's in trouble. The idea of since the darkness was so thick, thick as a dinar, they weren't able to get up and move, that shows us that the reason why we're not willing to go up and help, get up and help somebody is because we're not willing to give up our money. If we were willing to give up our money, we would get up and we'd help others. That's the lesson of why it has to be a dinar coin. The Ksava Kabbalah says that it's the thinnest. A dinar coin is the thinnest of all coins. And the reason why is that really they could see, he says. And the Egyptians were the only ones who were affected by it. It was like a veil in front of them that was just one thin little thing. But otherwise, it should have been fine for them to be able to see through. It's an interesting Ksava Kabbalah because it doesn't sound like it was a darkness around them, like sort of like a cloud around them. It sounds like it was something that was just by them. In fact, the Torah Tamima says exactly that. Torah Tamima Baruch Hapshin has an unreal Chiddush. He says, darkness is not what you're thinking of. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't create brand new creations. There was no such thing as this darkness. It wasn't a thick cloud. There is no such thing as a thick cloud that doesn't let in the sun. We don't have it. There's no such thing that exists in our world today, at least that I know of. Says the Torah Tamima, you know what it was? There's a blemish by the Kohanim in Parshas Emor that's known as Tavlul. Rashi describes Tavlul as a string that stretches across the pupil of the eye that doesn't allow you to be able to see. It doesn't allow you to see. It's like this little thing that goes right across the front of your eye, can't see anything. This choshech was a thickness of a tavlul that went across the entire eye, like a cataract. It was something that just surrounded their eyes completely, that blackened, that blackened everything in front of their eyes. It wasn't a darkness outside. Everyone else could see. The Jews were able to see. It's only the Egyptians that had a problem, not from the choshech or the clouds around them. There was no clouds. It was dark for them. They couldn't see because of a blemish that God put in their eyes for those six days. For those six days, yeah. Very good call. The darkness was only for them, while B'nai Yisrael would have had the ore. But yes, you, the wording should be more of a blindness. An Ivaron would be the name of the Makkah, according to this Torah, to Mima, rather than a Choshech. But to them, it felt like Choshech. Yeah. Also, right. According to that opinion, it has to be that they were scared, and we'd have to go with the other opinions. They were so scared, or they were seeing whatever, something like that. Yeah, they were afraid of doing something like that, and that would be the alley.
That's exactly, yeah, that's the same type of question. I, I, I don't have an answer to that. According to the Torah Tamima, it's got to be that it's the darkness of night to them. And that's what it's got to be, as if it was nighttime. But no, it wasn't actually. It was sort of like, it was just a mum, just a bunch. That is a huge Kiddush for Baruch Epstein. It's not brought anywhere else. It's a, that, that type of a Kiddush is unbelievable out there. So what kind of darkness? Sforno says something. The Sforno does have an interesting answer over here. The Abarbanel does say the one about the clouds that were blown over Egypt from the Mediterranean Sea. That this was sort of like taking that Ibn Ezra that we mentioned before, adding on and saying that the clouds were blown over. It was an actual sea darkness, some type of a fog from over there that was blown in. Normally, these clouds bring in rain, and they're supposed to rain down, but there's a school in Egypt that it doesn't rain in Egypt. So the rain clouds came in from the sea, from the ocean, and then they stayed, and it didn't rain because it doesn't rain in Mitzrayim, and they just kept doubling up and kept going and going and doubling and doubling and doubling until it became so dark you couldn't see. Now, we don't see this because we've never seen this type of thick cloud that doesn't rain. It was like a cumulus cloud that just kept adding and adding and adding, and it just didn't rain. That's a rarity. We don't see such a thing. But think of it as more of like a hurricane without the wind. That's what it seemed like to them, and that's how it kept going. It kept going further and further. The Malvim says, I don't like trying to explain it using natural forces. I don't like this idea of trying to say that you had natural forces that caused the Makos. The Makos were not natural. They were supernatural. They were unbelievable miracles, says the Malvim. Don't try to explain it in any other way. It's simply put, as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu lifted up his staff, he caused this darkness to descend. How it came, what it was, it's not something we've ever seen because it was a miracle. And if you say, we just said before, nothing new under the sun. How could you create a brand new cloud that didn't exist before, a darkness that didn't create before. That doesn't apply to the Makos, he says. That doesn't apply to the Makos. The Makos are completely different in that regard. They have their own little thing. The Chsam Sofer, there's a Kliyakar as well, the Chsam Sofer says that normally when a person finds himself in darkness, if a person is blinded by what's there in front of him, all of his other senses start to work a little bit extra. We all know this, that a blind person is able to hear things that others wouldn't be able to hear or smell things that other people wouldn't be able to smell or even feel things that others couldn't feel. Your other senses start to become a little bit heightened. That's what ends up happening. Says the Chassam Sofer, that didn't happen here. Even though they were blinded, darkened, they couldn't see anything, their other senses did not grow in comparison to their eyes diminishing. What happened was is that they could see, but they only saw darkness. So meaning their eyesight was the same, but Hashem wouldn't let them see anything different, which means that their ears and their noses, they were trying so hard to see everything, their ears and their noses, their other senses did not get heightened as a result of that. I don't know if that works in actuality, if a person who is straining so hard to see, but it's dark outside, would not get the extra sensories of his ear, of his hearing or his smell. I don't know if that actually works on Lysa, but that's what the Chassam Silver says. So his constant effort, nothing else was heightened. They could not hear better or smell better or touch better. Everything was dealing with just, it was dark, and that's that. That's how he ends up putting it. The Medrash Rabbah says, although Choshech and Aphela ruled here in Mitzrayim, Tohu Vavohu were not allowed in. And this goes to what Usher was saying before. Tohu Vavohu was not allowed into Mitzrayim. There was no such thing. Tohu Vavohu is too much. La'asid Lavo, in the future when Hashem brings back the Makos, which we may or may not see, let's hope that Mashiach comes without any of these issues. But if Tohu Vavohu comes back before Mashiach comes or even after Mashiach comes, whenever this is supposed to take place and the Makos come back, that's going to be different. It's not just going to be a darkness. It's going to be Tov Avo that comes in, so to speak. And I think this is what you're really referring to, David, the black hole type of idea. 
whatever Tovavo stands for or represents, however that is, whatever a black hole represents, that's the idea of what it possibly could be, of what it's going to be before Mashiach comes. Who, who knows when it comes to stuff like that? Now, there is another opinion. Brought them by the Yamaloes, and maybe you've heard this before. It's a crazy opinion. The shock says it was not a darkness at all. There was no darkness. It was an extremely great light. The strongest light that you can. Now, guys, we all know this. You stare at the sun, you get blinded. I don't know if anybody's seen by, uh, well, hopefully you haven't. When there's a solar eclipse, right? What happens when you look up toward the solar eclipse? Well, blind, you could become blinded, I guess, in theory, right? But you throw up. You can't handle it. You've got to look through the little thing, right? You've got to make these papers and like, put them together in order to go see because of all the issues that come through. We can't see the radiation that comes through the sun just from the sun and the outside of, a, of what happens. Either way, regardless, this is considered a darkness. Why is it darkness? In comparison to the light of God, it's Choshech. Because the light of God is infinite and unbelievable. So this light, although it's only... It's, it's, it's a light still, and it's a tremendously great light, greater than the light of the sun. It's a darkness in comparison to the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It blinded the eyes of those who couldn't handle it. It caused the Egyptians to be blinded completely. They, it was like they were staring straight into the great light of the sun. No candle could help them in, in this type of a light. What are you going to do? You're going to light a candle? You're going to add to the light? You couldn't do that. It doesn't add anything whatsoever. The Jews that were tzaddikim reveled in this light. They added on. They became even greater from this light. They enjoyed it as if basking in the glory of the greatest suntan that you could ever imagine. Unbelievable sun. It that's what it felt like to them. It felt like it was just shining on them, shining down on them, one after the other, and the tzaddikim came from it. It, it became awesome. Not only that, it became like an x-ray machine. They could see into the Egyptians' houses and see if they were hiding any money or putting anything inside there. That's what they were able to see. That's how great this light was. So to the Egyptians, it killed them when they saw it. To the Jews that were tzaddikim, it allowed them, I shouldn't say killed, it blinded them. That's what happened. But the Jews that were tzaddikim, those are the people who were able to see things from it. They were able to revel in it. They became so much greater because of it. That's what he ends up saying, says the, says the Miamlois and says the Shach itself. And those Jews who couldn't handle it at all, the Jews that were on the left, unfortunately not on the level to handle it, those are the Jews that died during Makas Choshech. However many it was, four-fifths according to the beginning, that was the idea of what the Rishayim, turning the light of Kedusha into darkness. Yeah, then. Why, that's the, that's the chart. Why would the light kill the Jews but not kill the Egyptians? That's a great question. He, the Shach and the Miamloes don't answer that. So I don't have a full answer. My Svara is to why it only killed the Jews, but it didn't kill the Egyptians because a Kaddish Baruch who gave a Koach to the Egyptians to survive so that Makas Bechoros would happen. That's my only Svara for it. The Jews did not deserve that, and for whatever reason, they had to die during that Maka. That's that, yeah. Oh, hold off on that. That's actually a really good shot. One time years ago, it's a little bit of a story behind this. I went up to one of the Rabbanim in the city, Zidich of Reva, to Revaikenstein, and I asked him, why were the Egyptians to, why were they Zoha to get their schar in this world and not the next world? Why were they rewarded here? I mean, I, I mean, rewarded is in punished. They should have gone to Gehenna. They should have gone straight to the levels of Gehenna. But these Makos gave them their Gehenna in this world. If any of the Midrashim are true, I don't mean true. If any of the Midrashim are real and literal and pshat and not taken just to be understood as in a, as in a metaphoric sense in order to learn a lesson from it, these makos were unbelievably punishments. How could Gehenna be any worse than this, than all the things that happened to them during these makos? So I asked them that question. I think the answer is somewhat given over here, and we're almost up to It's a great call. There is a machlokas, where it came from. Asher, yeah?
Yes. In other words, that stopped them from going anywhere. Since the light was so great, it froze them in their place. They couldn't go anywhere. They could, they, that, that light was so blinding. They were just like, can't see, and they couldn't move. They couldn't, whatever it is. And that might explain all the pictures that you made when you were in third grade. Maybe you remember when you were in third grade or second grade, you remember that there were those little pictures with all the Egyptians in those positions, like, like that. Like, what were they doing right before the darkness hit? Like, were they, they were karate chopping something? Like, well, what were all of them doing? But the answer is, is that maybe they were trying to get away from it. And since the, dark, the, the light was so extreme, they were trying to hold themselves back and they were held in that position. As if to say that the light froze them where they were. That could be another idea as to what happened. Now, there is a mach locus. It's brought down the Midrash Rabbah where the light came from. This <laughs> darkness, I should say, came from. Rebuta held that the darkness came from up above. And that would be the idea of this light that came down. Rabbi Yudah says the darkness came from up above. Rabbi Nechemia says it stemmed from Gehenna. It came mamish from the depths of Gehenna. Shach says, not a machlokas. Both of the Tanoim are stating their side of the equation. The darkness that came from Shemayim was the great light that couldn't be handled that never reached the Egyptians, he says. That never came down the Egyptians. Although the Shach said that first shot, this is the other side of the Shach where he says the Jews got the light. They had the ones that had the ore. The Tzadikim, they were the ones who lived in it, and the Rishayim died. They were the ones who died in it. And that's your idea that answers, it never hit the Egyptians. The Egyptians never got that light. What the Egyptians got was a darkness that came up from Gehenna. They were the ones who got that darkness that came up from the Gehenna, and they couldn't handle it. They weren't, they weren't able to come anywhere near that. That was the thick darkness of Gehenna that came upon them. Rav Schwab says it a little bit differently, but according to this idea, it's interesting. It seems like they were in different places. In Goshen, there was only light. In Mitzrayim, there was only darkness. That's what it sounds like over here. If a Jew was found in Mitzrayim at the time, they would have been part of the darkness. If a non-Jew, an Egyptian, was found in the areas of where the Jews were, they would be part of the light. That's what it seems like. Maybe they would have died with the Jews there, right? The Jews that didn't deserve it. Maybe that would have happened. Maybe the Jew that was in Makaskosha was there. But the problem with that is the other measures. What's the problem? The Jews went to go see the treasures of the Egyptians and they were able to see it. So in that area, they should have been able to see it. The Shach doesn't mention that measures. So maybe he holds it to Machlokas Midrash, maybe there's some other idea, maybe the Jews were able to see from their land in Goshen. Maybe from Goshen, they were able to see as if with telescopic eyes, they were able to see what was going on in the Egyptian land. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. I can't answer that question, but it seems like that's what the Shach is saying over here. Rav Schwab says something very similar as well. I don't know if anybody remembers that Gemara about Rav Chia. Anybody remember the Gemara about Metzia, around Pehe, about Rav Chia? You remember it. Okay, good. So much you want to say? I got it? I have a thing on. I got it. Okay, so Reb Chia, it's an awesome Gemara. The Gemara says that Reb Chia, after he passed away, well, it's a whole long, okay, I'll go all the way through it. There was, a, there was an Amora. We don't know who the Amora was, but his eyes were blackened with soot, as if they were burned. So somebody came up to him and said to him, what happened to your eyes? So he said, this Amora, which is unnamed, he's unnamed in the Gemara itself. So the Amora said, well, I was... Elio and Avi appeared to me, and he's, he said, what can I, what do I want to see? You remember it. Yeah, this guy knows it. Now, Tully actually knows it, yeah. She said, I, I wanted to go see, I wanted to see one of the, you know, I wanted to see the Amorayim as they were going up from, Gan, from their, you know, their spots where they were buried to the Yeshiva Shomaila, as they were being raised to the Yeshiva Shomaila. And Elio and Avi told them, told me, you can look at every single Amora that's going from down there to up there. You can watch every single Amora going up. There's only one person you're not allowed to look at. You can't look at Rebchia. Why can't you look at Rebchia? Because all of their chairs, their thrones that they're sitting in, are being pulled by Malachim. Malachim are bringing them up to Shemaim, so you won't have any problem looking at that. Can you imagine? You can't look at... You'll be fine looking at Malachim bringing up the chairs. But Rebchia's chair is like, it's a super chair. It moves up by itself. No Malachim pull it, 
and he's just going to go, right? So this, this Amora, right, when he heard about Rabchia's chair, that he wasn't allowed to look at it, of course he wanted to look at it. So as Rabchia went up, he looked, he looked, and immediately two laser beams of light came from the chair and blinded his eyes. Blinded his eyes. He davened. He said, I learned your Tosefta. Rebchia, I learned your Tosefta. Please heal me. And the next morning, his eyes were healed, but he had burn marks all around his eyes. Now, that, by, besides for being one of the best stories that Gemara brings down ever, right? Aside from that, this is the idea of what this light would have done to the people, says Rav Schwab. The idea of what was going to be over here. Rebbe Necham Rebbe Yudar arguing. They're talking about two different areas of what was happening in Mitzrayim and what had happened to them on each side. The Malbim says, according to Rebbe Nechemia, it seems the clouds came up from the ground, that the clouds of darkness were not stemming from the, from the heavens as if cloud, you know, fog clouds that came down. This is clouds that came up from the ground, from the ground that was beneath them. There were these clouds that came up that was filled with darkness from Gehenna. The light that came, came from the heavens, that's what ended up coming down. But the darkness came up from the bottom. That's the idea behind it. That's the Malvim's idea of how it ends up working over here. The Kedusha Slavi has an unbelievable piece over here. I can't tell you. I'm not Hasidish. I wish I was. I wish I was Sardi also, but I, I'm not. So I, I, the Kedusha Slavi has such an unreal answer as to how all this works and what's happening over here and what happens. Such great stuff. You see in a couple places. Maybe you guys have seen through Shas. He, he looked at him, nothing bo enov, and he turned him into nasa gal shalatzamos, a pile of bones. How does that happen? Why in the world would a Tana or an Amora turn somebody into a pile of bones? Yes, it's cool. And yes, you all wish you had that when you're driving and somebody cuts you off. I totally agree with you. It is an awesome trick. Baruch Hashem, I don't have it. Most of you would be gone by now, right? But it, it's, it, it's an unbelievable trick. What is that? What's Nasan Boena Venasagal Shalatzanos? You're able to turn somebody in, says the Kedusha Slavi. The idea is when Akarish Baruch Hu created the world, and again, this is way beyond my pay grade, okay? So we're going to have to wait another uh, three years for me to fully understand this, okay? So we're, we're getting there. But when Akarish Baruch Hu created the world, he allowed his infinite light to be constricted by a form that's called a tzimtzum. Tanya brings this down, but again, although my beard might look it, I'm not Chabad, so I don't quite get it entirely. Okay, it's Simtsumim, the Kantikot Simtsumim, allowing people to see what is able to be seen. That allows, you can see thir- certain things, but not others. As if to say, Hashem limited himself. However that works, God created the lock, I don't care. So th- th- whatever happens, this is the idea of how it happens. We have the ability, as Jews, to create levushim for ourselves clothes. We can clothe ourselves in our mitzvot and Torah, and those clothes allow ourselves to be protected from the infinite light that comes down, and the greater our mitzvot and Torah are, the greater our clothes are, the thicker our clothes are, those levushim that we make for ourselves, the easier it is for us to handle the great light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There are some people that are not able to grow those levushim, that are not able to have those levushim around them, and therefore if they're exposed to that great light, they immediately die. There's no choice. There's nothing else that can happen to them. There's no way for them to get out of it. That's Rishayim. Once they are ex- exposed to that, they die. When a tzaddik looks at a person, the tzaddik who has all the levushim in the world, what he's trying to show the person who's there, it, it's not even showing, it's not even trying. It's automatic. When the tzaddik looks at the person, he's showing him the light that he sees. When trying to explain to a Russia who's arguing with the tzaddik, and the Russia says, I, I, I can't understand what you're saying. The tzaddik is trying to show the light to that Russia. When he tries to show him the light to help him understand, Nasa Galshalat 
the light shines forth on that Russia. The Russia doesn't have the proper clothing for that light when the light comes and hits him, and the guy immediately dies and falls to the ground. He's gone. He's a Gal Shalatzamos. That's the concept of what happens over here. That's what caused the Rishayim to die. The Jews had Levushim. But the Jews that didn't have Levushim, the Rishayim among them, died. Because they didn't have the Levushim to handle the great light that was shining down on top of them. That's what's going to happen in the future as well. Baruch is going to take out the sun and he's going to shine it down on the tzaddikim. The tzaddikim that have the proper levushim, that have done the proper things to prepare themselves, will be able to protect themselves. They'll be able to handle the light. And again, the greatest glory, the greatest suntan you're ever going to get in your life. It'll be awesome. And everybody's going to be fine. And then there's the Rishayim. The Rishayim who weren't able to get those levushim, this is what happens. That's the concept of what happens over here. Yes, Ali. You'd assume so. You'd assume that every person has their own level of what it means to have enough levushim to survive. That not everyone's expected to be Rebel Yashem, Rechaim Knievsky. Of you yourself, what you needed to do to prepare yourself for that light, they needed to, you need to do. You have whatever it is, and you have certain levushim you have to make for yourself. And once you get that, that should be enough. But I can't promise that. I haven't been there yet. But that, that, that's the idea. The concept would be that. Apparently, there were some types of levushim they were able to make for themselves, even if they were on the Memtes Shari Tuma. Maybe there were certain people that were not, and maybe there were other people that had certain levels of Kedusha that were able to protect, even though they had the Memtes Shari Tuma. We don't know. I don't know. You'd assume, yeah, four-fifths that would be there. I mean, we're dealing with 12, or 12 million, depending. If you had 3 million Jews that left Mitzrayim, like Targum Yonis and says, you had 12 million Jews that died. So 12 million Jews that died, that's double the amount of a Holocaust, all during Choshech, you're dealing with that. That's not so hard, just exponentially. You could, you could do the math, it's easy math. It would take you only about 200 years, and that's how long they were in there, yeah. But that would be easy enough. That, that math is easily explained, I think, right? As you go down, listen, there are people today who have 3,000, you know, thousands of descendants. There are people that have that, so that you have. I'm sorry? But not for a long time. Only for three years, according to the Medrash, according to the Sefer Ayasher. So if it's only three years, it's not that bad. It's a good question. It's a easy. It's just not a question I can answer. The Kedusha's leave would have to answer that question, and he doesn't answer it. They had that levush. They were able to protect themselves from Makas Chosha, from the light that came down. But if they had that light, then what, what does it mean they were on the Memtes Shari Tuma? That's a good question. We don't have an answer to that. Now, the last thing we're going to go into is this Malbim that goes into this idea of When the Tehillim in Kufhei speaks about the Makos, it speaks about Makos Choshech, and it says, He sent the darkness, and it darkened. They did not rebel against his word. We already said that it means that the Jews didn't rebel against God's word. They wouldn't leave Mitzrayim. There's another bunch of Shavim. The Malbim quotes an unreal idea. There's a Medrash. Hashem told the Malachim, I want to bring Makos Choshech. And the Malachim all agreed, good idea, bring Makas Choshech. They all agreed with him. Every single one got up and said, done, do it. That's a great idea. What does that mean? All the Malachim agreed. Did they agree to all the other Makos? Why is this specifically by Choshech, but it's not by any of the other Makos that we see? There is no such Medrash. And what does it mean that the Malachim all agree? What does that refer to? Says the Malbim, when it comes to Dine Nefashos, to hurting somebody, to killing somebody in Sanhedrin, there are certain rules that you have to go on. Three rules specifically. Number one, the first one to speak has to be the lowest in stature. The first judge to get up and state his opinion is the lowest of the judges. That way people can argue with him. If the highest judge states his opinion, no one's going to argue and then everyone's going to go with that. 
That's number one. Number two, they have to find some way to be able to figure out how it could be that he's going to be innocent. There has to be some way of saying, is this true? Is that true? There has to be some way of finding some way of, of innocence. And that first opinion should be an opinion of innocence, an opinion of where this guy could possibly be innocent in some way, shape, or form. That's number two. Number three, if all of the judges agree together that he's guilty, if all of them agree with that and they all say guilty, 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 and it goes all the way through, then the guy is not killed. Then the guy isn't killed. Why? Maybe because the kapara of death isn't good enough. Who knows? But that is a din when it comes to Sanhedrin. So I don't understand. Hashem spoke up first. Hashem paskin they should get koshech. That's number two. And then all the malachim agreed. So they should have been innocent. They shouldn't have gotten makas koshech. Says the Malbim. In this case, and he says the following. It says, since the Egyptians, once Hashem spoke up first, and Hashem said they were going to be all guilty, the malachim, uh, they understood this couldn't be a din of dinin nefashos. If Hashem was paskining they were guilty and spoke up first, then this was not a death maka. It's not dinin nefashos. Oh, it's just a punishment? If it's just a punishment, then they could all be maskim to Hashem's din. Hashem decided to give choshech, then we can all agree. That's the concept. So the idea of the medrash is how to be able to paskin. If it's not dinin nefashos, then the first judge can be the top judge. The first judge can say guilty, and everyone can agree with it, and it'll happen, as long as it's not Dini Nefashos. That's the concept, the idea, and that's what it means, lo moru is to varo. Because sholach choshech, because God sent the darkness, and he wanted to do it, and he decided he was first, lo moru is to varo. The Malachim said, we're not going to argue. They refused to argue in such a case. What are you going to say then? If we're going, if we're going from the shot that it was the... the uh Maka itself that, that killed the Jews, mm-hmm. then we see it was a Dinah Nefashos. Because if it wasn't just that they could, the, the Egyptians couldn't see, so Hashem killed the Jews. That you're getting time. to another the issue. Maka killed the Jews. You're getting to another issue. Was the Maka of Choshech for the Egyptians or mostly for the Jews? Was the Maka of the, this Maka of Choshech, was it so that the Egyptians didn't know what was happening to the Jews at the time? But really, the Maka was for the Jews. Think about it. At the end of the day, this Maka was worse for the Jews than all the other Makos combined for the Egyptians. They lost four-fifths of their people. Did the Egyptians lose four-fifths of their people at any point during all the Makos? Combine them all. Did they lose four-fifths of their, of their people? Even Maybe at the Amsuf, you got it. But at the ten Makos, did the Egyptians lose four-fifths of their people? They lost four-fifths of their cattle, four-fifths of their, the 90% of their stuff, according to the Sefer Yasher Endeavor. But did they lose four-fifths of their people? This is the worst Maka, Makas Choshech. So was Makas Choshech for the Jews and the Egyptians just couldn't see it? Or was the Maka for the Egyptians and that the Jews also happened to die during that time? I, it, it, that's already another issue. And I wasn't going to go into this tonight. There is a Chanukah Satora, a Chidah, and a Tam Bedas that talk about that issue. Okay, so you can look it up yourselves. I expect you all to give me a report later on today, right? But that is, those are the three Sfarim that deal with that. And there's others. There's others as well. Even, even if it wasn't for the Jews, the fact that it, it did affect them and it killed them... Would still be Din and Afashos? Would still be Din and Afashos. And that would be against this Malbim. Yeah, that would be against this Malbim. He would say, the Malbim would have to say, that that Medrash of four-fifths of B'nai Yisrael dying would either be a Medrash that we don't take in Pshat, or there were two Dinim. 
One for the Egyptians the, and one for the Jews. It wasn't the, it wasn't the Maka that killed the Jews. Oh, it was for sure the Maka that killed the it Jews. Was the, it was in... It, through the Maka, not from the Choshech, but through the Maka, the Or. I, you'd say that. Well, the, there is an amazing Tzvaras Yonasan. Rabbi Yonasan Ibshitz says one of the craziest things, and this gets into what David said before. This Rabbi Yonasan, honestly, I, I, I don't know. If you weren't Jewish before this, you should be Jewish. This, is, this goes for you, Dave. This, <laughs> this is the idea. This is by far the best. He says, this darkness was from Gehenna, he says. From Gehenna so that the Egyptians could get their punishment in this world and not in the next. The whole point of Choshech was for the Egyptians to get everything that was there. Why were they zochet to such a thing? Because they finally told Paro in the beginning of the parsha to let the Jews go. They said, let them out. We don't, we don't want them here anymore. Paro said, no, I'm not going to let them go. Right? No, no, no. I will not. Very good. Very good. So that's what happened. Paro didn't listen. But the Egyptians listened. They were done. He said, don't you realize we're done? That's what they said in the beginning of this expression by Arba. They said, we're done. There's nothing for us to do over here. They were rewarded for their efforts. What, were their reward? what was their reward? To be punished here. The darkness was sent because lo maru is tivaro. The Egyptians didn't want to rebel against God anymore. They were done. Paro had his heart hardened. But the Egyptians were done. I know it says Esavadov. I realize that's a hard thing, but this is the idea. It says Rabbi Yonah This is why all the Malachim were masking to give them the punishment. It wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing for them. It was a good thing for them in this world, so they wouldn't get it in the next world. By any other Makkah, had the Malachim all been masking, then Akharish Baruch Hu would have said the Makkah can't happen. Then the Makkah wouldn't be able to happen. According to this idea, all of them were dinning a fascist in a way. But he says that it wasn't, it was a good thing for them. Now that is an unreal shot because that means that there was some type of good thing that came from such a maka. That this maka was not necessarily, it was a maka in this world, but helped them in the next. That's an unbelievable shot. And that's, I, I, that's not what Rabbi Eichenstein told me when I originally asked that question to him. How could it be that they got their punishment here and they didn't, that means that they wouldn't get anything in Olam Haba, right? That wasn't the answer he gave me. But nonetheless, think of that answer. The Egyptians did. They got their punishment here. Choshech was so all-encompassing. It was Gehenna. They got their Gehenna here. And six days of Gehenna is by far the worst punishment you could ever imagine. It was so much Yisurin, they couldn't imagine it. That took care of everything they needed. What's up, Yafil? Wait, you know what? I'm sorry. Ask me right after this year because I just want to finish up and we only have two minutes. Two minutes right afterward. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says that Moshe was told, that Moshe was told here to put his hand upon the heavens. Right? You know what? I'm going to skip the Rabbeinu Bechaya. Too much over here. Okay, we'll skip the Rabbeinu Bechaya for right now. All of you have to look it up. You'll get back to me later. Yalku Rabbeinu says that one of the reasons for this Makkah is because among the other things that the Egyptians worshipped, the sun had a major position. They worshipped the sun more than anything else. For that reason, we know about the sheep, we know about the Nile River, we know about Paro, we know all about those, right? About Ra and all the different things that they had. They worshipped the sun. Hashem purposely did a maka for them where the sun could do nothing. The sun could not affect them and the darkness was too extreme for them to get through. That they couldn't handle it whatsoever, that was the reason for the maka. They saw its limitations. Another reason given the Amayam Loes is they forced the Jews to work all day and all night in the darkness when it was pitch black outside and they couldn't see. And since they had to work in the darkness, Hashem gave them their punishment in the darkness itself. When the Jews were feeling their way home, not being able to know where to go, the Egyptians had to feel that for themselves. That was the second reason. Rashi brings two makos. One of them is for the Jews to seemingly pass away, which we're not going to get into this year. And then he brings up another one at the very, very end. But the reason why you have to go into this Makkah is because this Makkah is very distinct. Very distinct. In the sense that, in theory, the Egyptians did not know that the Jews weren't affected by this Makkah. But every other Makkah, by Dam, they saw, we're drinking blood, they're drinking water. Svardaya, the frogs are all over us, they're not over the Jews. 
Bikinim, they were filled with lice, not the Jews. Arov, the Flaisi, there was a difference between the wild animals getting the Egyptians and getting the Jews. Dever, their animals, not their animals. Shechin, the boils, on them, not on them. Bara, the hail and lightning was on them and all their animals and all their fields, not on the Jews. Arbe, the locusts, all over Mitzrayim, not in Goshen. Choshech, you have no idea. There was no way for them to tell. So what's the purpose of Choshech? They couldn't differentiate. Now I know, yeah, that was one of the answers that we gave before, that they might have heard their footsteps behind them. But if they didn't hear their footsteps, it could be that they never heard their footsteps, or if they were able to see from far away with their x-ray, whatever it is, right, the hallucinations, whatever it is, right, but they had that, but maybe they didn't know that the Jews were affected. So what is the purpose of the Makkah? That's why Rashi specifically has to go into that over here, because it was a different Makkah from all the others. It was the only one that they may not, I'm not saying they for sure didn't, they may not have known if the Jews were affected or not, and therefore we have to get into it. Of course they definitely knew. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Paro's running through Mitzrayim, running through the all the Jews. Yeah, but they didn't hear any screaming from the Jews' side of the city. There's no question. Even the Egyptians that were in the Jewish houses died. The ones that were in everywhere else were totally different. Yeah, for sure they knew about Max Bechor. That, that for sure. I didn't, I'm not worried about that. But that's the idea. This is what happened over here. So what do we go through? What we went through today is we wanted to go through the idea of what Vayamesh meant. We said Yamish. We said it might be Yamish, Yamish, Yamish. And Memashesh. If it's Memashesh, we wanted to go through what is this Choshek exactly? What kind of a thick darkness was it? What was it? We went through all the different Pshatim of what it could possibly be. We spoke about the differences, Machlokasim, in whether or not it was a light or dark. What does that mean exactly for the Roshayim and for the Tzadikim? What happened with them? The Machlokas, Rabbi Yudah and Rabbi Nechemia, if it came from Gehenna or from up in the Shemayim itself. We went to the Tehillim, Lo Maru is Tavaro, what that could possibly mean. We gave three different answers for that. And then finally, the Yalkuruveni, the reasons for Choshek and everything like that. We'll stop with that everybody. Have a great Shabbos.